Hey everyone, welcome to episode 102 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. You're right, that is still confusing to say how to... It's just awkward. Welcome to episode 102 of the Professional... We'll get this, we'll, we'll figure it out at some point in these hundreds. This is Adam. Hey Jill. Hi. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. It's been a while since it's just been the two of us yes. doing a, a podcast. I'm it excited. is. Yeah. And a, just a fair warning to everyone. So, peek behind the curtain... When we do these recordings and it's just you and I, we usually, we have two different recording rooms. We usually stay in the same one because it's super awkward <laughs> to look through glass at each other right. if it's just the two of us. I have the microphone that can be a little touchy when it comes to sound. And I'm worse at, let me say better way to say this. I'm not good at keeping my face close to this microphone because the other ones are more forgiving with the sound. You're much better at it. Taking a chance here. I'm going to try and stay close <laughs> to the microphone so that it sounds... Okay, and if it sounds bad, this will be the last time I ever use this microphone. There you go. So, okay, what are we ta- <laughs> what are we talking about today? We are talking about historical fiction. Yay. Yeah, and you did some research. I did to find out because it's a tricky, like not tricky, but it's a difficult to define amalgamous genre. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where. Um, classifying something as historical fiction different people within the field and and i'm taking these from librarians and and academics um literary criticism type thing um what defines something as historical fiction obviously the fiction part we know Mm -hmm. um so there seems to be a couple ways of looking at it either it's a book set at a time there's okay, like twenty five or fifty, at least twenty five <laughs> or fifty years. Like I've come across the twenty five some places, and I've come across the fifty some places. So like a book written at least twenty five or fifty years after the events described have happened. Right. So if like we were writing something about like the nineteen fifties yeah. or something like that, um, but twenty five has been thrown around as well. So whatever. But, but like if you and I were to write a book from. And it was based in 2010. Correct. That's not historical fiction. That's not really going to be historical fiction. Technically. Technically. Um, So there's the looking at it from that perspective of the year. The other thing, however, is um, having been written by somebody who was not alive at the time of those events and therefore approaches the book writing from a research perspective. Mm -hmm. That's from the Historical Novel Society. And then... Jennifer S. Baker in the Reader's Advisory Guide to Historical Fiction phrased it as um, occurring before the author's memory. That's See, I like all of those descriptions. And as we were joking around beforehand, these are all going to be historical fiction or historical fiction adjacent. Right. I promise you they're all books worth reading. Yes. (laughs) Regardless of the subgenre that they technically fall under. But I think we got all historicals i think so and i think the other like and i was reading something where so something like jane eyre Mm -hmm. i would not consider that historical fiction but i think some people do so i saw some lists that actually that had that on there as well and then when i looked it up on overdrive's site we described we have it as classic or classical literature right and then I started thinking, like, I, I, I wormholed myself last night. I was like, well, wait, happens. what's classical literature? Yeah. And I don't want to cover that today. No, not today. It's very, 
Like, I don't think I could ever, even if I wrote it a, even if I wrote a genre-defining book, or like, you know, the, the great American novel in 2017, which I'm not working on, guys, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Um, I don't think it would be classical. Yeah. Classic literature, because it's not classic. Right. I'm sorry. I no, it's okay. I no, but that's like another, none of my books would fit under the like Jane Eyre definition of historical yeah. fiction. Like it might so. be. Yeah. So mine's all stuff that is either like is more written within like the last 50 years, but takes place like right longer than that. So hopefully. So this is a very convoluted opening. I know. But <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, everyone. We did not prepare for this, well, obviously. Yeah. We're <laughs> Jill and I are both super good at doing the research before we come in to record and then terrible at conversing together. Like, before we start recording, here are the things we're going to say in our intro. It's more fun that way. Okay. So, yeah. So, historical fiction. We're talking about historical fiction. Okay. I think you have a few more than me today. So, do you want to start? Yeah. I will say, actually, yeah. I'll start with, uh, I do have probably more. Um. I don't even know how are we doing this. Are we just going? I think we could, we'll just do like we'll ping pong. We'll go back and forth. Okay. Like we usually do. So then I'll start with um. All right. So I'll start with. <laughs> if this is not in any order, totally winging it. And important note, as always, we did not tell each other our list. <laughs> we did not. No. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna say I'm gonna guess that any a good majority of the f- women listeners listening to this podcast probably got their historical fiction start with the american girl series <laughs> I, I didn't <laughs> from the 1990s mm-hmm. um yeah i loved the american girl series jill tell us more i, I had a molly doll <laughs> um i picked molly because molly was the world war ii american girl and my birthday is the day after <laughs> veterans day this is the logic in my brain i'm not I, even kidding no, this you. is great i love this <laughs> I love this so much. <laughs> but there was Felicity, who was um, in um, Williamsburg, Virginia. And there was um, Samantha was Victorian. Um, I can't remember all of them. Kirsten was like, I want to say like 1800s or something. Those were like the four originals. And then they've come out with like Addie was the Civil War. She was just like. A post-Civil War slave or something. And then there's like a whole bunch of them now. This is also foreign to me. Yeah. So it was... So there are these dolls. The books are written for... I don't know. Like middle grade? I don't Uh know. I don't really do kids books. So um, (laughs) we have other co-workers who do that. That is not my... No, yeah. All of our librarians have different Um, expertises. Correct. And I am not the kids books. So there's like six books, at least in the original... With the original four dolls. Um... Well, actually, I guess. Anyway, okay. So there, were, <laughs> I think there were six books, and they were like all the same. Like meet Samantha, mm-hmm. meet Molly was always the first one where you'd kind of get to know their family and their time period and what their life was like. And they're like ten year old girls or something like that. And then um, there was always like a school one and um, like a birthday one. Mm-hmm. And and then like you could buy the doll to go with the books. That's amazing. And they came out with like all these outfits. <laughs> That's good marketing. And like whole, too. like whole set pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty intense. But my friends and I were pretty much obsessed, and that was kind of our our foray into historical mm-hmm. fiction was the American Girl Story. Okay, so well, I don't have any <laughs> like when I was really young. I think I think the as I was looking through all these books, I think the the earliest one I read 
was one from high school, but I'm gonna I'm gonna as people on Twitter like to say I'm gonna shoot my shot and <laughs> provide a a very obvious book for me. In fact, one of our friends on Twitter called me out on it and assumed that I was going to Indeed. say this. Uh, Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett, which I mentioned numerous times on this podcast because it is. I, I hate doing like favorite things, but I this might be my favorite book. Full stop. Like ever. So, Pillars of the Earth tells the story of Philip. He's the prior of Kingsbridge. Um, basically, think of like a large collection of monks, and he's the one in charge. And so he gets this idea, and he's driven to build. He wants to build the greatest Gothic cathedral the world has ever seen. And then there's Tom, who is a mason, and he kind of becomes his architect. And he is, he. Yeah, there's just a lot going on in his life as well, and there's this huge struggle between good and evil that will basically turn kind of the church against the state and brother against brother. And it tells full, these full sweeping stories of all these people's lives and their families' lives. And just, it's so good. Oh my God. It's so good. It's so good. I, first off, this book is the reason why I am obsessed with cathedrals and old buildings now. Cause I read it when I was uh, in high school and like from the moment I've finished it, I've, been planning my European trips that I finally will get to take sure. next year. Oh, it's so if you haven't read Pumps, I every time I start talking about it, I gush. If you haven't read Pillars of the Earth, oh my, just do yourself a favor. It's so good, so good. I love it. <laughs> All right, I love it so much. All right, go ahead. Okay, so when I was doing research um, on this topic, one of the quotes I came across was from Nancy Pearl. It was like Rockstar Librarian. She's got like a little action figure, which I think we actually have downstairs. We in do. Our... In our, uh, we have this like big this, glass this timeline case. of yeah. Overdrive's history and, and she's in there. We do. We have a Nancy Pearl action figure. So um, she, in her book, Book Lust, says the best historical fiction serves two purposes, to entertain and enlighten and to inspire readers to search out histories, biographies, and other nonfiction books to learn what's real and what the novelist has imagined. Mm-hmm. So, people have probably listened to this um, enough to know that I love Tudor history. Yes, you do. And I came across it because of the other Bowling Girl. <laughs> I didn't. I purposely didn't read this on the list. Yeah. So I read the other Bowling Girl um, by uh, Philippa Gregory when it came out, however many years ago, um, and was just like, "This is amazing," <laughs> and. Um, yeah, it did exactly what Nancy Pearl said it was supposed to do. Like, I then went out and read biographies and nonfiction books um, about the, the Tudors to find out what the novelist imagined, which was a lot, but that's another <laughs> issue I have. Um, one of the authors, though, that I came across is uh, Alison Weir. She is a British historian who has dozens of books yeah. about um, not just the Tudors, but other English history, but mostly the Tudors. And then she kind of broke out and now has her own fiction books out right. um, about, again, mostly the Tudors. Yeah, I almost entirely, I think. Um, yeah, she she had one book come out about um, Eleanor of Aquitaine, but the rest have been, yeah, the rest of her fiction books are, are the Tudors. Um, and she has a, a new series out where she's taking each of Henry's six wives and writing... A fiction book about each of them. Did you talk about this before? Possibly. The Anne Boleyn one comes out in May. If any of our Penguin Random House friends are listening, I would happily read a review copy. I'm just saying. Hi, guys. (laughs) 
Hi guys. Wait. Um. So yeah. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to that because Anne Boleyn's my favorite, and uh, because she's a historian and was for decades before going to fiction. Even when she changes stuff, she is very um transparent about it mm-hmm. in her author's note at the beginning, usually at the end of the book. Nice. So they're well researched. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, my next one is The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Yes. Was that on your list or no? It was not. Nice. I almost put it, but no. All right. Look at us. <laughs> so if that if you haven't read it yet, but it sounds familiar, it's because it was everywhere last year. It was the National Book Award winner, number one New York Times bestseller. I believe Oprah put it in her book club. She did. Yep, she sure did. Uh, but for people who have not read it, first off, super definitely read it. Uh, Cora is the main character. She's a slave on a cotton plantation, and as you might imagine, it's a horrible, horrible life for <laughs> for for slaves on a plantation. That part is very realistic. Uh, and then when another slave, who's a recent arrival, his name is Caesar, arrives from Virginia, uh, he tells her all about the Underground Railroad, and they decide that they want to try and escape. And a bunch of things happen, but. The part that is completely different than actual fiction or actual history, it is fiction. Uh, the act, the actual history is different because the Underground Railroad is actually an underground railroad. There's yep. engineers and conductors and all sorts of stuff. Uh, it is awesome. It's so good. Colson is just an incredible writer. Um, if you're going to be at the American Library Association by any chance this summer, he is one of the headliners. Uh, he will be there, but yeah, I don't want to say too much about it because I feel like I'll start giving things away. It's so good. It's so good. I listened to the audiobook and the narrator was, she was good. very good. Yeah, she was really good. Was it one person or was it? It was one person. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, know it was, I haven't read, I, I, no, I, it read was, it, I didn't listen to the audiobook. Yes, the audiobook was really good. Yeah, but it it's just, there's so much like action and it, there's just a lot. It's a real, it's, it's amazing. It's like, um... That's actually, so, the Underground Railroad is interesting because of that element of it, Mm -hmm. um, with the whole, actually, an Underground Railroad. Right, yeah. (laughs) So, it's sort of, I don't want to call it sci-fi, but it's... I guess... It's not sci-fi, but it's sort of, like, reimagined history. Yeah, Yeah, I wouldn't call it sci-fi. If it was, if it was... An underground steampunk railroad. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Sci-fi, which if but it's wants not. To write that, but it's also not like true historical fiction, though, because obviously, right? Exactly. Although, again, I I debated over this back and forth. Overdrive.com has it as historical fiction, and I saw their list. No, no, it is well. historical fiction. I'm not. But it's like it's more adjacent ish. Well, yeah, because I think like we were talking about this before the we started recording, how historical fiction is kind of like a big umbrella. Right term, and there are a lot of things that kind of fall into it that can be cross-referenced in other genres. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I was thinking about it along the lines of like something can be a thriller, a mystery, or a suspense, or it could be a suspense and a mystery, or a suspense and a thriller, and like those three are kind of like I don't want to say interchangeable, but they're not. But they're pretty but similar. But you'll see a lot of books that say that they're in all of those and a lot of that might honestly be publishers wanting their book to like show up in different searches and things like that it's possible which is not a bad idea but no there are actually like actual definitions for those but that's on this podcast so yeah there's there's we won't get into that right now there are many other technical maybe we will podcast another 
episode, but yeah. not this one. Yes. Um, You'll have to bring in some of our uh, very well. We have oh, a couple we have of very, librarians yes. here who have spent entire lifetimes worth of amazing work. And All right. What's your next book, Joe? My next book. Okay. Um, so I read a lot of what would be called um, multiple timeline novels where like one section is set in the present and then um, another section is set in the past and they kind of go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're connected or whatever. So um, one of the books I read recently was The Dollhouse um, by Fiona Davis and part of it is set in the present and then there's um, another storyline that takes place at the Barbazone Hotel which um, is mostly known as the hotel that Sylvia Plath lived at for like a month <laughs> when she was uh working um in new york city and like that's sort of like a running joke throughout mm-hmm. the book um because people would be like the sylvia plath era and <laughs> the main character's like okay she lived there for like a month this is not <laughs> um so it was really good though and uh she has another one coming out called the address um fiona davis does that i think is the same kind of idea but it's the dakota mm-hmm. um apartment building which i'm like totally obsessed with so i'm looking for that forward to that one i have a question so and i don't want to undercut your list because i don't know what else is on there but would the historic would the historian kind of fall into that same idea of like multiple timeline historical fiction kind of but that's like totally historical yes it would um because well there's sort of multiple timelines is it multiple timelines or is it more flashbacks I guess okay. That was that was my question because that is, would be different. I mean, okay. that's historical fiction, right? On its own. Is that not on your list? No. Nice bonus. <laughs> bonus read. Um, we talked about the historian a lot. Yes. Uh, I think that's more flashbacks, okay. not really multiple timelines. Mm-hmm. I was just curious. Like the other one I have for multiple timelines is The Hours by Michael Cunningham, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and that has three timelines and it's not until the very end that you sort of figure out how they're all connected nice um yeah okay uh my next one and it might be the only one i have that's young adult but uh the book thief by oh, marcus yeah. zusak mm-hmm. uh i mentioned this in the books that make me cry as well so i won't spend a lot of time on it but um it's 1939 nazi germany uh, and then there's a foster girl. Her name is Liesel. Liesel. Probably Liesel. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Uh, she's a foster girl living outside of Munich. And she starts stealing books that she gets from a house that she helps clean and do laundry for. Uh, and then her family has a Jewish man come to their house and they have to hide him. And mm-hmm. um, it's just... It's very sad, but it's so good. Um, and again, it's it's YA, so you can get through it really quickly. But, yeah. Um, have tissues nearby, because as I mentioned previously, it makes me cry. I've read it, I think, three times every time I cry, as if it's the first time. So, yeah, that I don't want to spend too much time, because I spent a lot of time before. But, yeah, The Book Thief, so good. So, you may go. Okay. Um, one of my 
favorite books. This came out last year. I mentioned it on my On Point interview. Mm-hmm. It was one of my favorite books, 2016. Humble brag. Um, was The Darkness Knows by Cheryl Honingford, which was a 1930s Radioland murder mystery. Mm-hmm. It's the best way to describe it. Yeah. Her uh, This next book in the series comes out in October. It's called Homicide for the Holidays. I read an advanced copy. It's so good. I, I'm like super <laughs> pumped. That's like, it makes me happy. I was like, this is so good. You didn't just read it. You, like, snatched it out of the box we got from... that source books? Sorry, our friends that's source, source books. books. Yeah. Yes. You, I watched you, like, basically like, gobble it up from the box. Like, that, that is mine. That is I, my arc. I happened to be walking by Adam's desk when the box was there, and it was you and our coworker, Andrea, who's uh-huh. been on the podcast, were, like, looking through it, and I happened to glance in and see the cover. I knew to look for, like I knew what the cover looks like, so I was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna take that one." <laughs> I have to tell you. Um, so hilariously, in our office, the person who sits in front of me, his name is also Adam, and he saw you walking away with that. And I, there happened to be two copies of it in my box. Thanks, source books. Uh, and he was like, "Is there another copy of that book that Jill just took?" And because <laughs> he wanted to read it as well, so multiple people are reading that advanced uh, reader copy. It's so good. Yeah. It was so good. It made me happy that it was so good, too. Like, the second one, because I loved the first one so much, you mm-hmm. know? I'm glad you really enjoyed it. And it, it did make me laugh, because this bo- we get a awesome box. Well, we get lots of boxes of books, because all of our publishing friends are amazing. But the one from Sourcebooks this month had, like, four different Christmas books in it. Well. And I get why. It's just, like, yeah. Yeah, and there are books that come out in, like, October. And so they're for the holidays, but sending them out, like, a couple yeah. months in advance. I know, it's a little weird. It'll but... be here before we know it. Not talking about that. I know I want warm weather before. We okay. Okay. My turn. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to talk about this because if I remember correctly, you've never read it. A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. Correct. <sighs> so upsetting. Okay. Everyone on Earth pretty much knows the quote. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It's the first line of A Tale of Two Cities. Very few people know anything else about. Well, not very few, but not enough people know enough. <laughs> more about A Tale of Two Cities. And it's so, so good. It's set in the backdrop of the French Revolution, and it is this sprawling story of both things happening in London and then in revolutionary Paris. So think, how can I do this? I want to try and describe it without just, like, reading a description for you guys. So in real time, think Les Mis meets less bloody Sweeney Todd. Okay. That's not great. Interesting frame of reference. I know. Continue. I'm sorry. Think, oh man, think a play, but no, I was gonna say think a play by Oscar Wilde meets Les Mis. Think Les Mis meets something British. It, just read it. It's so so good. So like it, a British Les Mis. Yeah, like a British Les Mis kind of. Yeah, but there's also stuff in Paris as well. well no, okay, but, sure. I mean, there's things like they talk about the storming of the Bastille. There's you know death carts with you know all sorts of like humans in it, and there's guillotines all over it's literally like charles dickens takes the french revolution and just turns it into this awesome awesome novel and there's drama and there's romance and it's just there there's a prison there's a like a daring prison escape at the end oh naturally just take some time i understand that reading dickensian english is a little bit different but read it's literally dickensian english it's literally dickensian english i love charles dickens so much Uh, and it bums me out that not enough people in my life read him so that's like the closest thing i can get for my wife is she'll watch a muppet christmas carol 
I mean, I can't blame her. I know. We, I watch it all. I everyone knows my feelings about the Muppets, but like, it breaks my heart that um, we have the like the collective works of Charles Dickens, and she's like, I don't really want to read them. They're they're hard. And then she'll grab a YA trilogy, and I'm like, okay, at least you're reading. <laughs> Makes me sad. It's very judgmental, Adam. I don't know. I read YA all the time, <laughs> but I want I want someone to read Charles well, Dickens with me. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna put my foot out of my mouth, and then you can <laughs> tell us your next one. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, actually, I had a story, and I was trying to figure oh. out if I can make it work, and I think I can. Go. I'm um, ready. So, everyone knows, like, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, mm-hmm. and my boyfriend had not read any Stephen King until about two months ago. <laughs> so, I wow. understand your pain. <laughs> and now I'm thinking, I think he wrote, um, um, let's see, 11, I'm going to get the date wrong. Eleven twenty two sixty three. It's a rather well known date. I should be aware of what uh-huh. it is. Um, yeah, eleven twenty two sixty three, which uh, is what we would call a time slip novel. There you go. You made it. Look at that. See, I was trying to figure out how to make it work. Little circle. Little circle. Um, so eleven twenty two sixty three, uh, which is the date of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It is a time slip novel because they're basically time travel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> novel in which, um, you know, so you have the historical fiction element of going back into the past. So um, there's that. But that wasn't actually originally on my list until just now. So, That's but I made it work. I made it work. Um, so uh, one of our former big library read books, The Murder in Time, was a time slip novel. Yeah. One of my favorites is Time and Again by Jack Finney. Um, it came out in the 1970s. I read it. I had an aunt give it to me probably when I was like 15 or something. Um, but he travels back in time to the late 19th century um, New York City, which was kind of fun. Somewhere in Time by Richard Matheson. It was the movie with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. Oh, okay. That one. Yeah. yeah. That <laughs> Based on a book, Somewhere in Time, Time Slip, nice. going back and forth. Yeah. I like it. Me too. Outlander, of course, is. Mm-hmm. Um, my next one is The Swans of Fifth Avenue by Melanie Benjamin. I haven't read this, but I, doing research, I'm going to read it. Uh, so it's Melanie Benjamin wrote The Aviator's Wife, if the name sounds familiar. And so The Swans of Fifth Avenue is about this big group of elite kind of socialites in the 1950s, the New York's Swans. Uh, and it's all about them and their scandalous headline-making and enthralling friendship between literary legend Truman Capote and peerless socialite Babe Paley. Uh, anything with Truman Capote, I will read, but I'm just going to do a real quick um, description that we've got here. Of all the glamorous stars of New York high society, none blazes brighter than Babe Paley. Her flawless face regularly graces the pages of Vogue, and she's celebrated and adored for her ineffable style and exquisite taste especially amongst her friends. By all appearances, Babe has it all. Money, beauty, glamour, jewels, etc., etc. But beneath this elegantly composed exterior dwells a passionate woman, a woman desperately longing for true love and connection. Enter Truman Capote, the diminutive, golden-haired genius with a larger-than-life personality, explodes onto the scene, setting Babe and her circle of swans aflutter. (laughs) Great usage. (laughs) Uh, Through Babe, Truman gains an unlikely entry into the enviable lives of manhattan's elite 
Uh, and then when Truman's fame is at its peak with such notable celebrities as Frank and Maya Sinatra and Rose Kennedy, all of this kind of converged together on his black and white ball, and all too soon he'll ignite a literary scandal whose repercussions echo through the years. I love all things Truman Capote, so I'm excited to read this. Sounds good. And sorry, I know that was a lot of description, but... That's okay. Wendy did it all. Um, the Paris Wife by Paula McLean. <laughs> is that on your list? Nope. But do, her do next have, novel is... <laughs> okay, so um, this is about uh, Ernest Hemingway's wife, and um, it was so incredibly... I don't really know a lot about Ernest Hemingway, um, and I've read only a little bit of his writing, but... It talks sort of about their courtship and wedding, and it's all set in Paris and um, Europe, and just, uh, it was so good. I love Ernest Hemingway. I also love Paula McLean. Um, if you are a fan of Paula McLean, or if you are interested in historical fiction, she's a good place to start, because her novel after, uh, after The Paris Wife is called Circling the Sun. And it's the it's a story. It's in the 1920s, set in colonial Kenya. It's the story of Beryl Markham. She is a she was a record-setting aviator, and in this story, she's caught up in a passionate love triangle with a safari hunter and um, and another woman named Karen Blixen. Uh, and if that name sounds familiar, uh, Isaac Dennison wrote the classic memoir Out of Africa, all about her. So, uh, yeah. Paula McLean is just awesome. Oh, and I think she's from Cleveland. She is. Um, let's see. What next do I have on my list? Um, well, my one of my absolute favorite books ever. Shocking, not shocked. Um, Gone with the Wind. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I saw that, I, I, knew, I was like, oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> um, written in the 1930s, said obviously before, during, and after the Civil War in the South. Um, I wrote when I, um, went to college, part of the, um, I don't even remember, like, the English placement exam you took, like, during orientation or whatever to figure out which English class you should be in. Um, I don't remember what the prompt was, but somehow I was able to write about how Gone with the Wind is a parallel to the Great Depression that... Like, that's sort of where it kind of came from, from Margaret Mitchell was um, yeah, okay. using the setting of, you know, the Civil War and Reconstruction um, in the South as a commentary on the Great Depression. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Whatever. I got placed into the high English class, so it worked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good job. I mean, obviously, like, that's one of those books you kind of have to, um, it does not really read very culturally sensitive that's now. a good way of putting it that's fair so um you know some people can read it taking it into account when it was written some people can't mm-hmm. but yeah that obviously had to be on my list <laughs> yeah i will say that age is better than some of the movies i like like the- oh yeah it's yeah i guess that's true like that, there's just one of my favorite comedies of all time is Trading Places, mm. and it yeah. doesn't age well. Um, yeah, not great. I can't. It's. I feel like the movie version of God the One is probably worse than the book version. Yeah, that's fair. Um, in terms of some of the 
stuff. Things they say. Things they say. Yeah. The way people act. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. If you're just joining us, this is not the first time Jill's ever talked about Gone with the Wind. (laughs) No, it is not. I keep a little scar, little hair, a little thing on my desk. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought, sure, you would have this and you still might on your list, but Cold Mountain? I do not. I haven't read Cold Mountain. Oh, I thought you, so. Okay, someone else talked about. Well, it. I mentioned it in our myth. Ep- yeah, okay. episode knowing yeah. that it was based on the Odyssey. Right, exactly. But I haven't actually read it. Okay, so for those of you who haven't read it, including Joe, uh, it's from Charles Fraser. It's it was written in 1997, and it was like immediately a bestseller. But indeed, this, indeed it was. This was the one. This was the uh, really the first, I guess, historical fiction novel that I read. This for a history class, and um, I was like, whoa, this is unbelievable uh it i believe it won the national book award actually uh but basically what happens um can i describe this so a confederate soldier his name's inman he basically decides to walk back to his home after being badly wounded in a battle at i think petersburg i was gonna say saint petersburg but that's not in america (laughs) No, it's um, not. And so then he has, you know, like you said about the Odyssey, he has this long trek through a, a south, the South as it's kind of falling apart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he has a lot of unique situations. That, again, it's like the Odyssey, but it's set at the backdrop of the Civil War. And if you've never read Cold Mountain, you really should. It's and this isn't a slight at you. It sounded like one. It's fine, whatever. I know. I'm so sorry. So sorry. Uh, it's really good. I like I said, I, I read it. I think twice now since high school. Okay. Highly recommend it. Um, I don't. Oh, okay. Um, can't have a podcast without talking about Margaret Atwood. Obviously, <laughs> oh, that was close. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, she has a couple. I guess. Like, by a couple, like, literally two. Um, I think that would count under this. Um, the first is Alias Grace, uh-huh. um, which is based on a true story, a Canadian, of um, a... Uh, she's like a housemaid who was convicted of murder of her employer. And um, there was always a question of whether they think she was innocent or whether she was evil or you know um insane um and so margaret Atwood wrote um a novel kind of from her perspective the other one is which is one of my absolute favorite books is the blind assassin which is like three stories in one (laughs) so there's the main character who's sort of writing from um the book was written in the early 2000s, so I'm probably around that time. Um, so talking about her, she's an elderly lady now. And then it kind of jumps back to the days after World War II when her sister had died. And then like there was this accident and this whole big thing. And then within that, there is a book within a book mm-hmm. that um, had supposedly been her sister's novel. Um like it's so good so there's like a lot going on yeah <laughs> um but uh the first time i read it i was just kind of i think that was maybe one of the the earliest margaret atwood books i read knowing who she was or like being aware of her and being like this is just like the most amazing thing ever and just i haven't read it in a while now i kind of want to go back and read it nice i like it 
Um, I'm going to take a second to give a shout out to some of our followers on Twitter because we got some good responses there. Uh, Daryl, who is our good friend, he sent us a couple emails before. He tweets with us a bunch. So, hey, Daryl. Um, he got a couple in here, The Alienist and The Last Kingdom, and then he says nothing beats Pillars of the Earth. <laughs> Damn right, Daryl. Good job. Um, but I'm going to give you a quick description of the two that he did mention. Uh, the Last Kingdom is by Bernard Cornwell, I believe. Yep. And it's kind of like... Overdare.com describes it as like Game of Thrones, but real. Um, <laughs> I've read the first one, I think. So it's basically like the making of England in the 9th and 10th centuries. So really, really interesting if you're interested in that kind of time. That's a that's a good one. And then the other one he mentioned was The Alienist, which I had not heard of. It's the first book in the Dr. Laszlo Chrysler or Chrysler series. Uh, the year is 1896, The Place, New York City, on a cold March night. New York Times reporter John Schuyler Moore is summoned to the East River by his friend and former Harvard classmate, Dr. Laszlo, a psychologist or alienist. On the unfinished Williams Bridge, they view the horribly mutilated body of an adolescent boy, a prostitute from one of Manhattan's infamous brothels. And then it goes from there. Um, so, you know, late, ni- late 19th century, early 20th century New York City. That's always a good setting for historical fiction. There's a bunch of those. So pretty much anything in New York City. Yeah. So. Historical fiction. So thanks, Daryl. Those are really good. Um, one that I have not read. I thought I did, but reading about it, I didn't remember. The Gollum and the Ginny. No, I didn't read that one. Okay, so this is a chance meeting between mythical beings, and it takes place on a dazzling journey through turn of the century New York City. Look at that. Thank you. Almost like I planned it. So a golem, which is a creature made of clay, and it is it's something that's kind of I have I'm familiar with this because it comes from a Yiddish kind of pat bat upbringing. My father's side of the family is Jewish, so I've read a lot about golems. Uh, but they're creatures made of clay, and they're brought to life by uh, usually a disgraced or evil rabbi, and they have a lot of magic in them. And then genies or genies. Uh, Ahmed is the one in this particular story, and he is a being of fire born in the ancient Syrian desert. Trapped in an old copper flask, he's released to New York City, and then Ahmed and Chavo become unlikely friends and soulmates with a mystical connection. Uh, That got me, and I'm very interested. So they consider it historical fiction and a magical fable, which... Nice blending of two things that I'm a big fan of. I'm telling you, historical fiction, it's got a lot of... Overlapping, yeah, and that's by um, Helen Wecker. So, um, one of our other Twitter followers, Amanda, she offered Trinity by Leon Uris, um, which is set in during the Irish Potato Famine, and um, follows uh, a, two families um, from the. Great famine up until the Easter Rising in 1916. So, interesting that one. And then she also gave Count Belisarius by Robert Graves, um, which takes place in the sixth century. So that's very historical fiction. Wow, yeah, it's super <laughs> historical. Um, invaders threatened on all fronts, but they grew to respect and fear the name of Belisarius the Emperor. Um. And big historical, very old. Yeah. <laughs> like, that takes a lot of 
can't even imagine the research process, research process for that kind of thing. So I'm not trying to be a story topper in any way. This just happens to be the next book that I have. Yeah. It's called The First Man in Rome. Look at it's that. It's part of the Masters of Rome series. It's by Colleen McCullough, and it's set in 110 B.C. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. So again, I'm now, it was just, this is happenstance. Uh, but basically it is, Rome is becoming Rome um, that everyone kind of knows in history. And at the heart of Rome are two except, exceptional men, Gaius Marius, who's prosperous but lowborn, and then Lucius Cornelius Sulla, who is a handsome young aristocrat. Uh, both of them are extraordinary. They are extraordinary visionaries. They are extremely cunning and ruthless, uh, but they're both outsiders cursed by insurmountable opposition of powerful and vindictive foes. If they forge an alliance, Marius and Sulla may just defeat their enemies, but only one of them can become the first man in Rome. So I might like Roman history. So this one I'm into. Yeah, shocker. I, I didn't pick up on that at all. Oh, hush. Uh-huh. Um, do you have anything else on your list? Um, that's it for me. Okay, me too. Look at that. Wow, we always Magic. do this so good, and we literally never plan it. We don't, That's you guys. Good. Seriously, when we say we don't plan it, yeah, we don't plan it, yeah. like at all. That's good because I have a meeting <laughs> soon that I'm probably that I have See, to go to. That's good. Worked Con- out well. Contrary to popular belief, this isn't Jill and I's <laughs> only job. This is actually not yet, at least. Just kidding. yeah, fingers crossed. This is actually secondary to our main jobs at Overdrive. So. Uh. Like yeah. We get all these people that will, will get us emails like, you guys are so lucky that you get to spend all your time reading and talking about books. We're like, well, that, that's not, not really. That's not exactly that's true. That's not what we do. We spend lots of lots of time reading regardless. And then we decided to write, talk about it. Yeah. Because Jill's a genius. Um, we've got a bunch of new listeners over the last couple of weeks. We have. So we should have led with, if you want to get in contact with us, how can they do that? <laughs> how, how can they do that, Jill? How can, how can people both new and old listeners get in contact with us? They can follow us. Oh, I'm not going to be able to do it. You okay. totally threw me off. I'm sorry. So if you want to. No. I was going to do that thing that I do where I can't say Twitter. You just, well, you just nailed it. That, okay. I you did now. That, yeah. Twitter. I can't do it. Oh, my okay. God. My brain. Hey, if you want to follow us on Twitter and interact with us, we are at ProBookNerds. And if you want to email us, you can email us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. We love hearing from people. Um I guess I think I mentioned this last week, but we got an email from someone who grew up in the same area right around the same time as my father, which I thought was kind of cool. He didn't know that none of they didn't know each other, but just kind of it was a fun little happenstance. That Twitter thing won't make sense to uh, any of our new listeners, but it was a thing from like six months ago. Joe couldn't say Twitter. (laughs) He couldn't say follow us on Twitter. I don't know. My brain was just I could tell my brain was not going to be able to do it. Well, then it became like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Then it became a self-fulfilling prophecy where I would start laughing Mm -hmm. because I thought I said Twitter weird. Yeah. And from long, long ago in the past, Joe and I used to try and plan out our intros very specifically (laughs) and we would start giggling (laughs) and we'd be like, no, 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 we have to do it again. And to the point where if you don't go back and listen to our early episodes, but if you are a masochist and want to not be able to hear us very well, you will hear usually just one of us doing an intro because we couldn't get through the whole intro together because we would start laughing. Pretty much. Nailed it. So. Nailed it. Well, I think that's everything. Yep. Right? Uh-huh. We talked for a while. We talked longer than I thought we were going to. Yeah, we did. So those are historical fiction. Um, yeah. That, that's it. That's it. Okay. That's all we got. Ah, yes. Out like a lamb. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, be sure to email us or tweet at us or whatever <laughs> with uh, 
any of your favorite historical fiction uh-huh. picks. And I hope you all enjoyed this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. <laughs> do, do, do. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.